1: where you can create a new account today and use the promo code UGA to double your first deposit bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie. I am your host Tyler and back with me today to recap Georgia's dominant 55 to nothing beatdown of the Vanderbilt Commodores is my Coast Curtis. And and look guys, this was this was. This was a beatdown. Outside of watching our offense put up 55 points, it wasn't the most exciting game to watch. It kind of honestly felt like G-Day out there to a degree. For those of you who have ever gone to a G-Day scrimmage, you know what I'm talking about. The feeling, the vibe at, at G-Day where it's it's happy-go-lucky, you're not going to lose, there's never a threat, there's no stress. It's all just a celebration. And that's kind of what Saturday inside Sanford Stadium felt like. I never for one single second felt like Vanderbilt was a threat to us. It felt like we were doing whatever we wanted to do and we were just there to celebrate the Georgia Bulldogs and have a a hell of a Saturday. So we aren't going to spend an entire episode, a full hour plus or so recapping this game. I don't think that any of you listening out there care to hear that and to be real with you, I don't care to do it myself. There are only so many ways that we can say that oh yeah, we just murdered Vanderbilt. And by the way, guys, for those of you who keep track of these kind of things, remember in 2020 when Vanderbilt just decided they didn't want to come play us? I know they said, oh, COVID this and that, but let's be real. They just didn't want to come get beat down. That's the reality of that situation. They retired after a long season and had to deal with all the COVID protocols and the players just didn't want to play another game that they were going to lose. And so our guys did not get to have a senior day. We did not get a 10th regular season game. I was upset about that. A lot of you were upset about that. And I have it on very good authority that Kirby Smart himself was very upset about that. Now, he would never come out and say this publicly. And yes, Vanderbilt does just suck. They're terrible. So there's also that. But in the two games since the 2020 season, last year at Vanderbilt, this year inside Sanford Stadium, we have now beat the Commodores by a combined score of 117-0, to Following that 2020 no show. So maybe, maybe it's just because we're awesome and we won the national championship last year and we're a national title contender this year and we just have far more talent than they do. And that's why we've beaten them 117 to nothing over the past two seasons. But there's also a little part of me that just can't help but think there's maybe a little bit of this that has to do with what went down in 2020. Look, I know Clark Lee wasn't on the Vanderbilt coaching staff at that time. It's a whole new staff. I understand that. And Kirby has a lot of respect for Clark Lee. So that's why I can't go full on conspiracy theory there and just say that we're trying to just do whatever we can to embarrass this program. I don't think you can really say that full force, but I also can't help but think that there's maybe a little bit of something in the back of Kirby's mind that won't let him just completely let go of that anger and frustration over what went down at the end of 2020. But regardless, we have now outscored Vanderbilt 117 to nothing over the last two seasons, and cool, awesome, I guess. I mean, it's great to play that well, but it's also Vanderbilt that we're talking about here, and we just have a lot of other things that Curtis and I would like to talk about today, and that we also think you guys would find more interesting. So what we're going to do is a quick recap of the Vanderbilt game. We're we not going to completely ignore it. And then, now that we are heading into the bye week, we're going to give you our mid-season report card and grade each position through the first seven games of the season. That personally sounds like a lot more fun to me, and I hope you guys feel the same way. But Curtis, considering the talent disparity and the overwhelming resource advantages that we enjoy, I think that's fair to say, right? This is exactly what we should have done to Vanderbilt, but it's also... What we should have done to Samford and to Kent State, and maybe to a lesser degree, Missouri. And we did not do it in those games. We won those games, yeah, great, but we did not play and execute to our standard. But Curtis, this was domination personified. We put up 579 yards of total offense, which is our highest offensive output of the season only gave up 150 yards in return, that is a plus 429 total yardage margin, we averaged 7.3 yards per play to Vanderbilt's 3.2, more than doubled them up there, we tripled them in first downs, 30 first downs for the good guys to 10 for Vandy, we also controlled the time of possession, which doesn't always really matter, but in this case it's just further indicative of how we controlled this game, 39 minutes to 21 minutes in time of possession, all of that adds up, To a nice crisp 55 to nothing spanking of the Vanderbilt Commodores. So, Curtis, I'm just gonna ask you real simply here, man. Was this our most dominant and complete performance of the season? I think, I still
2: think that um, Oregon was our most dominant and complete performance, but I think Vanderbilt's number two. And I think that across the board, you would look at it if we, I mean, if we just hadn't played like where we did the seven possessions with seven touchdowns against Oregon, then there's no question. This isn't, I think that's the only reason I'd go with Oregon.
1: So that's the reason the fact that we just were unstoppable in the red zone. I mean, seven. Yeah. And I mean, seven seven touchdowns. Yes.
2: Oregon kicked a field goal and Vanderbilt didn't score. That's a thing. But I mean, even our backups were playing well against what we saw with Oregon.
1: Yeah. Offensively, there's no question. The Oregon game, was and remains our most dominant offensive performance, right? I mean, what I think it was 9.2 yards per play in that game. And, yeah, we had, what, 7.3 yards per play in this game. And it felt like we were doing just about whatever we wanted to in this game against Vanderbilt's defense except for a couple of possessions there to open up the second half in the third quarter. But against Oregon, we really did whatever we wanted to do. They had no answers in that game. And I think a big part of that is, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that this was a new Georgia offense, a new look Georgia offense. And Oregon had not seen this and wasn't prepared for it. There was no tape to operate off of. So I think that certainly helped kind of maybe Maybe inflate those numbers to a degree. Maybe inflate's not the right word, but certainly helped us come out and just hit on all cylinders. Because so that's that's what we did on offense against Oregon. We hit on every single cylinder we could possibly hit on offensively. But defensively, we also gave up four point six yards per play. I mean, Oregon. There were some moments where they kind of moved the ball between the twenties, but just made some mistakes, turned the ball over, couldn't finish drives. So I mean, defensively, this was a more dominant performance, was it not?
2: especially. I mean, or- I mean, Vanderbilt's offense has put up some points. I, I mean they're not high powered but they're still better than what they have been offensively.
1: Yeah, they're averaging about 80 yards a game more than they were last year and then they they I mean I know obviously if you watch the Ole Miss uh, Auburn game and you know how inept Auburn's offense has been and how they were pushing Ole Miss around and they were able to I mean I think they ran for like 300 yards on Ole Miss and you know Ole Miss's defense statistically was really good coming into that game. That makes you wonder, you know, hmm, how, how inflated were some of those numbers? Who had Ole Miss actually played? Were those teams actually good? So, yeah, Vandy put up some yards on Ole Miss. They put up over 400 on Ole Miss, which kind of caused me to raise my eyes and say, like, huh, is that Ole Miss D as good as maybe the numbers say they are? And I think we got more of an answer there with how Auburn played them and how Auburn was able to move the football, and they haven't been able to do that against anyone for over a month now. So, I mean, Vandy is Better offensively, yes, but they're still not good. So have a freshman quarterback who's going to be a good player for them. I think they're going to build around him. They have a really good receiver in Will Shepard. But, I mean, when you're talking about their personnel, as I said, their personnel and our personnel, it's night and day. These are different planets, and we should have dominated. I mean, honestly, that offense, I, they were just helpless and hapless. Like, I, I'm, did you feel bad for them at stretches, Curtis, in this game? Where it's like, man, this, is just, this, this has to suck for them.
2: Yeah, especially that one where the guy dropped the Ringo pass. If that was your one yeah, chance I mean, to do Yeah, we're Keely, or not the yeah, yeah, reach time, time to jump,
1: yeah, it is time to jump, yeah, and that's Will Shepard. Will Shepard, I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the SEC coming into the, coming into, and he still is. But I mean, when you're talking about again the talent disparity that these two teams have again, when when they match up, I mean. It's not necessarily surprising, but you, you, you kind of feel bad for them to a degree. It's like, man, I know these guys who out there, they work hard all year long. They come out here and just get beat down like this on national television, 55 nothing. But it was your dominance defensively. There's no doubt there. Offensively, again, I think we, we did mostly what we wanted to except for a couple possessions there to open the third quarter. But it was a dominant performance all the way around. I think I'd probably – Side with you on this, Chris, I would say Oregon was probably overall more dominant because of what we were able to do offensively. When you consider the opponent, I mean, Oregon very well could end up in the Pac-12 title game when the season's all said and done, Curtis.
2: Yeah, they've still won some games, um, and that's why I, I still go with them.
1: Yeah, I think that's that was the more dominant performance there. But this is certainly right up there. It's at least in the conversation. And Curtis, obviously, we don't want to spend too much time on this game because what are we going to talk about? But before we do move on, I just want to give you a chance here. What are some other big takeaways or some of your thoughts coming out of this game against Vanderbilt? I think one thing,
2: twofold offensively, is it's better to see. I felt like it was nice to see Stetson a little bit more accurate with the ball because I know there's been other problems, but I still think that when the plays have been there to be made, he hasn't always converted them. And so I think that's been my biggest complaint with him so far. And I felt like he had better footwork, better foot prep, a uh, pocket presence, and just was delivering the ball better. And I think that that was a big takeaway. And then second it's just nice to see us continue to build the run game. Um, that it wasn't just a one-off thing, and it looks like we're making a more conscious effort to try to do it. And um, I, I, I think that right now has been one of the um, more pleasing things to see lately.
1: Yeah, and they were obviously, if you watch the game, they were trying to sell out to stop the run. Maybe not to the same degree that Missouri was, but they were trying to stop the run after what we were able to do to Auburn rushing for almost 300 yards. So to see us continue to kind of build that momentum on the ground, that's certainly a positive thing to see. I want to go back to Stetson here real quick, Curtis. I also had Stetson in my notes here. Was this Stetson's best performance of the season? I know you want to look at the Oregon game because, again, we did whatever we wanted to offensively, but – when you consider that we were we're we're not at full speed offensively right now, I think it was
2: because football. what had me was I thought he was better third down. He has struggled third on third down this year, in my opinion. Um, yeah. After being so good last year, and so I thought he stayed in there and delivered some big strikes on third down, um, especially in third and long. We weren't yeah, doing that. Like that like the one where he hit Rosemary Jack Saint, that was a very big completion. It wasn't just a short completion. No, it was down the midfield. And I just thought that that was the better thing to see from him is it wasn't just on first down and with the short passes. Yes, he had the short one the Kenny Mac for the touchdown, but I thought he threw the ball downfield better.
1: Yeah, I thought he was very accurate. I mean, there's maybe a slight, a little bit of an overthrow to Darnell, which is hard to, to, hard to do when you guys that big. But, I mean, he was locked in. He was 24, I think, what was he, 24 of 30 in this game? I believe so. And he was like, yards. what,
2: 18 of 19 at halftime or something? Or maybe not yeah, that it high, was from, he Yeah, breaks. he
1: might have a one in completion. 24 of 30 for 289 yards, 9.6 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And, Curtis, you mentioned, you go back to the Auburn game, obviously we ended up running away with that game. But it was a little bit of a slow start offensively. We didn't just jump out yeah. the gate and just blow Auburn out of the game right away. And part of that was we had several third longs early in that game, and we were not converting those third longs in the past game, and we came out against Vanderbilt. And yes, I know it's Vanderbilt. This is the worst defense in the SEC. They are very, very bad on defense. That's what well, we struggled offensively against
2: Kent State. I mean, you exactly. go back to Kent State, and we were still struggling.
1: Yeah, I mean Sanford, Kent State, some of these teams were like where it's just maybe some accuracy issues, maybe it's it's not being on the same page of receivers, but we were not consistently converting those third and long situations. And we did a much better job of that in this game uh against Vanderbilt. I thought that was a, a really strong thing to take out of this game. I think that's a, a positive that we can certainly build on. I still want to see us get the vertical passing game going, Curtis. Is that? I mean, we. I feel like we talk about this every single week, and it still remains. I, I, I don't know. Is is it a problem, or is it something that we haven't seen? I, I think at this point, it's it's fair to say it's it's kind of a problem. We need to see this. We're ha- more than halfway through the season, Curtis, and we're about to hit the meat of our schedule. And at some point, we've got to stop just having to grind out every drive. You know I mean? You can do that against variable. Yeah. You can do that against Missouri at times, can stay, you can do it against Auburn, but can you do that against the better teams on your schedule when you need to score points? So, is, How how concerned do you remain when it comes to vertical passing game?
2: I am still concerned. and I But I think that right now, as we keep building um, the run game is going to give us a chance to, especially once we get 80 Mitchell and Arian Smith gets back in there healthy. Um, I think it's going to give us the possibility to maybe try to, expose more teams and attack the vertical passing game. Um, but I mean, it is a concern and it's something we need to start looking at. But I think that maybe the run game will be the catalyst it needs to help get us there.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly where I am, Curtis. I want to sit here and tell you and tell everyone listening out there that it's just a matter of time until we get the vertical passing game going because we all saw it last year. And what was it based off last year is what we were talking about last week. It was based on establishing the run, working play action off of that. Stetson, can. I think he's more comfortable and more able to, to operate a drop-back pass game than he was last year, but he still is at his best when we're working play action. He's rolling the pocket, doing things like that. and. You know, Missouri game play action wasn't really working. First off, they were just, they were bringing everyone and he had no time whatsoever. But when you don't have the run game, they don't have to worry about that. And you only run the ball nine times the first half. They can just pin your ears back and come after you. And you're not making them pay for that. But when we can establish a run and work play action, that's how we were so explosive last year. Let's not forget guys, Stetson Bennett led the SEC in yards per attempt last year. He is still that guy. He's still the same guy. We just have to get back to what we were doing last year offensively to allow him to be that productive when it came to pushing the ball down the field. I think the last two games, you've seen signs of us doing more, of that, especially the Auburn game. Now, we do need to start actually hitting some of those shots. We had a couple of them that were there against Auburn, and he did not hit them. But I, I, I've said this all year long. I've seen Stetson hit those balls. I know he can do it. I know he's still that guy. But at some point, we just have to start doing it. Because we're going to like, – there's going to be a games, Curtis, where we can't just rely on grinding out – You know eight, nine, ten play drives and do that against some of the better teams on our schedule. We're gonna have to start hitting some of these explosive shots. You know, we talk about it, we've you know, we were much better in the red zone over the past couple of weeks. But, you know, we for a couple of weeks there, especially the Kent State game, the Missouri game, talking about some of the issues that we had in the red zone, a part of that is we had to grind out so many drives. If you're hitting exp- explosive plays down the field, and pass game, run game, whatever, you don't have to worry about even being in the red zone because you're just hitting explosive plays from other parts of the field. So I think that's something that we're going to need to do if we want to. Beat Tennessee and obviously beat Florida. All these other teams on our schedule, and get to where we want to be. I don't want to run into this whole like it's just about Tennessee now. There's more than just Tennessee left on our schedule, but we're going to have to start hitting some explosive plays. I think we can do it, but I, I would be lying to you if I sat here and said at this point I'm not like at least somewhat concerned about it because for whatever the reason, an AD being out I think is a big part of it, and maybe the run game at parts of the year not working like we needed to. You know, that's part of it as well. But we have got to get that going. Curtis, one thing that I also uh, loved about this game, and again, look, it's all relative. I understand. I don't want to overreact to it, but this is not just a one-game sample size. We continue to be dominant against the run. I mean, right now, Curtis, we're giving up 83.29 yards per game on the uh, the ground and 3.29 yards per rush. Last year, with our ridiculous defense, our all-time-level defense, we gave up 78.87 yards uh, a game on the ground and 2.56 yards per rush. So there's certainly a little bit of a drop off there, Curtis, but, I mean, that's negligible at best. How good has our run defense been this season?
2: I think it's been really good, especially I think the emergence of uh, nausea stackhouse has been one of the biggest surprises and things to see because I think especially as Jalen Carter's gone down, he, him stepping up has been one of the biggest things that's helping in the run game.
1: Yeah, I gave him a game ball last week, Curtis, and it was honestly a long time coming, and the reason he hadn't gotten one to that point is because he's not making like the wow plays that maybe Jordan Davis would make, but he's just done such an incredible job of anchoring our defense. He's been so solid, such a rock for us there in the middle of that defense, and you mentioned it, Curtis, like those rushing defense numbers, that's all without, like, essentially no Jalen Carter. I mean, Jalen played the first game, but really hasn't played. I mean, he's played very sparingly since then. I mean, in multiple games where he hasn't played at all, so to be that productive, at this point against the rush with no Jalen Carter. I I, I mean if we told you that before the season curves, hey guys, you know, you'll be getting up less than 85 yards per game on the ground with no Jalen Carter. You would have taken that in a heartbeat, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean so you got Nas Anchor. I think Warren Brinson Kurtz is a guy that's flashing more and more to me consistently disruptive or a couple of plays. I mean, he could have taken a handoff at at one point in the first half in this game where he got in the backfield. He just got to have a little bit more awareness, but his ability to use his first step quickness and explosiveness and get in the backfield and be disruptive. I think this guy is playing really well for us. Zion Logan has been really, really solid as well. The inside linebackers are playing lights out. Nolan Smith is doing what Nolan Smith does, which is just completely dominate against the run. And all those things are on full display. Against Vanderbilt now again I know it's Vanderbilt but Ramon Davis is a good back and and this is a team that has been better offensively and we just flat out completely shut them down which is essentially what we've done to every team on the ground this year I guess with the exception of Missouri they're cu- really we shut down Missouri's ground game except for like two or three plays they hit some chunk plays and you can't let that happen but outside of that like we have been I mean. Honestly, Curtis, dominant against the run. Kent State, I know it's a, a massive talent disparity there, but Kent State runs the ball extraordinarily well, and they really could not get anything going on the ground against us. So I, I think that's one thing that I continue to take away, really game in, game out, but certainly coming out of this game. Is there anything else, Curtis, that uh, that you saw that you wanted to talk about real quick? Um, No, I think those were the
2: biggest things to me. All
1: right, I'm going to go. Uh, i got one or two more things here real quick, Curtis. Uh, Darnell Washington, man. Oh, yeah. How can you not talk about that? I mean, four catches, 78 yards, I know like that doesn't like light up the stat sheet, but it's clearly his most productive game as a pass catcher for us as a Georgia Bulldog. And it's just awesome to see him get more involved in the pass game. Curtis, so I'm going to ask you a simple question. Does Darnell remain the most underutilized weapon in our entire offense?
2: Absolutely, because as good as Brock is, the catch radius that Darnell produces is – incredible and it's not only the catch radius but he's making these catches the one uh the one-handed of course that everyone's talked about but i think his. He, catch was like, he
1: didn't even use the second hand yeah. to collect the yeah, ball He did. the entire
2: way yeah but to me the most impressive catch was that one on the sideline um wow. with
1: what people catch. around
2: him because that was the one that it's not just about big hands as much as it well of course that helps him but that that was a lot that he put together to make that catch
1: and Curtis, he every time he gets opportunities it's the same thing. I mean, even in the Missouri game, there was a couple of plays in that game where like, I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know if I would throw that ball, but Session just throws it there and trust him. And he goes up there and devours the football. Because that's yeah. what he What's does. What's killing
2: me is we, I, I mean, I know we are better in the red zone today, but I still don't know why we haven't used him more in the red zone.
1: I'll give, I'll give our offensive uh, staff credit. I mean, we're, you clearly saw when we got in inside the 20, we immediately brought Dejan Edwards in the game. Awesome. You yeah. guys are seeing exactly what we're seeing. It's fantastic. Love it. And it, it and it worked. It was productive. It paid off. But I I agree with you, Curtis. I mean, the reds like it's just baffling to me. And we get this question almost every single week with the mailbag. I it's baffling to me why we don't use this nine foot seven giant in the red zone with it. Like you said, with this catch radius, it's uh. It is baffling to me. Now, at least we're starting to use him in other parts of the field. And maybe the next logical extension is, hey, let's use him in the red zone where everything is condensed and there's just a lot of bodies around. You just throw it up to the big guy and see if he can go get it and use that catch radius. But really excited to see him. He's been a, a, just a devastating blocker his entire career. Uh, but to see him get involved in the passing like this, I think that's really, really encouraging moving forward. Um, I also just want to mention another tight end real quick. Arete Gilbert, I know it's, it's going to be Oh, my shine, God,
2: that was great to see,
1: though. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, just I know it's garbage time. I know the game was already in doubt, but I mean, he needed this, right?
2: Yeah, he did. I, I mean, mean, the thing was, especially after he stepped back, um, stepped back away, and then pushed through and came back. And like you said, yes, it was garbage time, but for him to score and not, and then he had a big third down catch also, or it may not have been a third down catch, but he had multiple catches, I believe. And it's just nice yeah. to see him because I think he needs good things to happen to keep yeah. building confidence and to believe that this is where he belongs.
1: Yeah, I mean he still he remains an incredibly talented player. And uh, but it, obviously there's some some bigger issues that he's that had had to take precedent for him. And to see him have that kind of success a guy who's worked through so much and bowed through so much and and been through just so much adversity, I'm just uh, I, I was just extraordinarily happy. I and mean, that's probably honestly Curtis, I mean, I loved everything I saw on Saturday, but that was probably the the highlight of the game for me just seeing him score that touchdown and um I felt really good about that. And also, I'm going to give a shout out to Don Blaylock, right? You know, yeah, it was his first uh, touchdown yeah. since twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. I want to say right, and that uh, yeah, was a great throw by Stetson. But and Dom has made some plays. Or so that Missouri game, Dom made a big critical third down catch. I mean, Dom is working himself into the rotation more and more. I mean, this guy needs to play more, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, he does. Especially, I mean, Ladd has been better. But if especially, um, there's a big there's going to be some challenges there, especially with AD Mitchell coming back.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Totally agree there. And right, last thing I hear before we move on. Uh, we're getting close, man. Talking about special teams here, getting really close to breaking one in the punt return game. Level. Oh, Longest God, that was so nice to there. see the
2: last two weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a sight for sore eyes, man, because, you know, there's there was a point a couple weeks ago I was, I was mentioning special teams. Like, man, like, what's going on with our special teams? And we're we're certainly improving – in that phase of the game, the, the punt return game is, is really looking like we're just like, inches away from breaking one. And as we've said many times you know, throughout the past couple weeks, we're, getting, we're about to head into the meat of our schedule following this bye week curse. And when you play teams that are that good and that tough, uh, a punt return like that could potentially swing a game. So hopefully we can yeah. continue that momentum and actually break one. We've gotten close. Just hopefully we can get that job done. Okay, we're going to move into our midseason report card here in just a minute, but before we get there, I do want to quickly remind you guys about our friends at MyBookie. With the bye week coming up, you guys might think, you know what, I'm probably going to watch a lot of college football this weekend. I can get a lot of things done with the family, friends, do some things that were on my list and haven't had a chance to get done yet but you also know you love college football. And even though the dogs aren't playing, doesn't mean you can't enjoy your college football Saturday. And one way to keep your mind occupied on a football Saturday without a Georgia game is to responsibly put a little bit of money on some of these games, some of the bigger games of the weekend. And you can do all of that with MyBookie. All you need to do is go to MyBookie.ag today and use the promo code UGA when you sign up for a brand new account. And whatever that first deposit is, doesn't matter if it's $10, $20, $50, $100, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, they are going to double that first deposit. That's double the money for you guys to go and have some fun with and to turn into even more money to put in your pocket. So again, that's MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA when you sign up for a new account and they will double your first deposit, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right, guys, let's leave Vanderbilt in the rear view and take a more holistic look at how this Georgia football team has performed through the first half or so-ish, because it's seven games. We'll call it the first half of the regular season with our mid-season report card. But Curtis, we're going to get to our grades here in just a second. But before we do that, I want to start with kind of a big picture look at the offense and the defense. And offensively, Curtis, you know, we talk about this all offseason. I told everyone who would listen during the offseason that I personally thought this would be the best Georgia offense in program history. But now, Curtis, through seven games, how would you grade that prediction right now?
2: It's it's missing a little bit. And I think the biggest reason is because we didn't expect to not be as successful in the um, big play category as we are. Um we don't we really haven't hit a home run. It's probably been in over two years, almost three. Really in the run game, and it's been a long then, time in the run game, yeah, yeah, and then it's kind of been the same with the pass game this year um, for the big play wise.
1: Remember, like in back, I know it's so long ago, man. It's hard to believe, but 2017, like Sony and Nick, it felt like every other play we were just biting off chunks of yards on the ground. Yeah,
2: especially when you had them and Swift. I mean, And Swift together, yeah. It was it's like you knew that the, you, you, yeah. It was like two, you were expecting at least three a game.
1: That Kentucky game in 2018 when Swift broke off a couple, man. A dead leg move. It's been a minute, yeah. dude. It's been a minute. We 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 need to get that going. We need that home run threat in the backfield. I think we have guys that can do it. We just gotta, just gotta make it happen. Um, I, I hear you, man. But let me throw some stats at you here. Okay, now stats certainly do not tell the whole story because football has changed over the past decade. All right, but when I look at you know what I think were the best Georgia offenses in history, at least statistically in my lifetime, at least I go back to twenty twelve and twenty thirteen, the Aaron Murray offenses, right. So in 2012, we averaged 467 yards per game, 7.09 yards per play, and scored 37.8 points per game. 2013, we averaged 484 yards per game, 6.6 yards per play, and scored 36.7 points per game. Now, we'll say 2013, Curtis, that that year got derailed because of multiple injuries to keep players offensively. If everyone had stayed healthy that entire year – we might have averaged over 500 yards a game easily, easily could have, but it was not meant to be that year. It sucked. Uh, but this year, Curtis, right now, through seven games, we are currently averaging 526 yards per game, 7.26 yards per play, and 41.7 points per game. So we have surpassed what I think are the two best George offenses in history, at least statistically so far, through seven games in all three of those categories, whether it's total offense, yards per play, and points per game. So when you look at those numbers, Curtis, does that, I mean, does what you see on the field seem to match those numbers?
2: It doesn't. And I think that's the big thing. I mean, we've t- the biggest thing. We've talked about it multiple times where you see how bad we've been in the red zone and which has killed our scoring statistics.
1: Well, it, the it, yard it, statistics. it's inconsistent though, because you're right. It has killed scoring statistics. But some games, I mean, there's multiple like what was it? The Oregon game, the South Carolina game, and the Auburn game. I think there's all but one possession in the red zone that we score touchdowns on.
2: Yeah, Kent State, Missouri, part of Auburn. Like those were the biggest problems.
1: And I think it's those inconsistencies. inconsistencies yeah, that's what's holding that us
2: back, like scoring wise, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, exactly, and, and like, that's like we have had these games. Like, off, like what we saw against Oregon, as we mentioned earlier, Curtis. We're talking about nine point two yards per play. If we have been able to hold that up, I mean, anywhere near that game in and game out. Clearly, we can sit here and say, "Oh yeah, guys. I know it's only seven games for the season, but this is the best offense in Georgia history." But and we've had some other games where we have had some really high performing offensive games, where you know, where whether it's South Carolina, whether it was uh, or Auburn last week, So Auburn. We averaged seven point seven point one yards per play. We averaged eight point four yards per play against South Carolina. But then you also have Missouri, where you average six point. 6.0 yards per play. Kent State, which is a group of five team, we average 6.9 yards per play. Samford, an FCS team, you average 6.4 yards per play. So it's just the inconsistencies right now, Curtis, from game to game that I think keep me from saying that, oh yeah, clearly, definitively, this is the best offense in Georgia history. I will say also, Curtis, like this is I'm all kind of arguing against myself. If you look at the schedule at this point, Curtis, I mean, it hasn't been particularly daunting, has it?
2: No, it has not.
1: I mean, Oregon is a good football team, but who, other than Oregon, and they haven't been great defensively. They've been really good on offense. But other than Oregon, Curtis, who's the best defense that we've played? I mean, Missouri. Yeah, they're middle of the pack in the SEC. So I know I'm arguing against myself because I was the one who was saying all offseason this is going to be the best offense in Georgia history. But I don't think it's necessarily been that to this point. I think the 2013 offense, like the first half of that season when when things were humming and everybody was healthy, then that that still probably remains the best offense in Georgia history. This, but the the story is not complete here, Curtis. We still have the back half of this season to get things back on track. Especially if we get Ad Mitchell back. We also haven't been healthy. There's some there's some context there as well. But I go back to what you're saying. We've got to start being more explosive in the passing game and in the run game as well. We just got to be more explosive in general offensively, and we've got to find some more consistency. From game to game, whether it's the red zone, whether it's trying to create, you know, big plays, we've got to find some more consistency, whether it's the run game, all of those things, for me to sit here and say, you know, a couple months from now, at the end of the season, oh, yeah, this was the best offense in Georgia history. I think there's still a chance. Are you still open to the idea this could turn into that, Curtis?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, look at the yards. I mean, I just feel like if we were to be more consistent, I wouldn't even – I don't think there's an argument.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean, and I think you could sit here and make the argument right now that it is the best George offense. And you'd say 526 yards per game, 7.26 yards per play, 41.7 points per game. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, but there's also context. 2012 and 2013, those numbers are from full seasons, right? Yeah. We have not played a full season yet. In fact, we haven't played the best teams on our schedule, with the exception of Oregon. That was week one. It was a weird situation, neutral site, which wasn't really a neutral site. So let's let the rest of the season play out. I'm open to it. Being an accurate prediction, I would love for it to be an accurate prediction for a lot of reasons. Everyone likes to be right, but also if it turns out to be right, that means we probably win the SEC. We go to the Control playoff and we'll see what happens from there. So I want it to be right, but right now I can't see her the straight face and just say decisively, yes, this is the best offense in Georgia history. It's close. It's in the conversation, but we need to see how the rest of this plays out before we can go. 100% in that direction and then defensively Curtis we spent all offseason saying yeah the defense won't be as good as the 2021 unit but there won't be a massive drop off like a lot of people nationally expect there to be and Curtis, I do think it's fair to say that we haven't been as dominant to this point and there has been some level of drop off but through seven games how big do you think that drop off has been
2: not as bad I mean you've already talked about the run game I think maybe if I had to say anything, it'd probably be just the big plays we've given up.
1: Yeah, with the Missouri, play, Missouri game, a couple too many big plays. In Missouri, game, many...
2: the Auburn big play, Kent State. Yeah, uh, God, you know, that was a 50 yard pass. I mean, there have been the big plays which we didn't give up last year, but I still think statistically we've been solid overall.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers. Yes, there has been a little bit of a drop-off in some categories, but not significantly. In fact, I mean, if you look at it, uh, look at last year, we gave up 267 yards a game, um, 4.15 yards per play, and 10.2 points per game. This year, statistically, right now, through seven games, we're gonna have 247 uh, yards per game, 4.43 yards per play, and 9.1, yard, 9.1 points per game. So statistically, that would say, oh, yeah, well, Georgia's better on defense. But that – doesn't really tell the whole story i mean you look at sacks we got you know we were second in the sec last year in sacks we're 14th we are dead freaking last right now guys in sacks we'll get that a little bit later um and we're not as deep defensively we just like we had we i felt like we went three deep at almost every position last year guys have come in and be impact players for us and i love our starting 11 i think that we're pretty good in the 2d but there are some spots where it's like, man, we don't have like the quality of guy coming off the bench that we had last year. Or a lot of those guys are just really young and experienced, really talented, but not yet ready to be those kind of contributors at this point in their career. And also, the, again, so we were saying the offense, we have not played a full schedule yet. The schedule at this point outside of the Oregon game has been very, very light. And that was the first game for new Oregon offense, new Oregon offense coordinator calling its first game ever and uh, we're, we're going to hit the meat of our schedule, much tougher teams, much better offenses down the stretch. The best offenses that we're going to face, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Mississippi State, we're going to face some much better offenses. So that, that story remains to be written as well. There's a little bit of context there. <laughs> that full story remains to be written. But at the very least, I think we can say we were right in the preseason, that maybe we aren't going to be as dominant as we were in 2021 defensively, but we're certainly not going to fall off a cliff either, and there's not going to be that significant of a drop-off. And before we move into our individual position grades with our midseason report card, I do want to quickly remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. I hope you guys had a chance to come out, bring your family, check out all the great stuff that Alumni Hall has going on, and meet the collection of current Georgia football players that were there in store from 2 to 4 p.m. On Sunday, but if you missed out, it's no big deal. Alumni Hall still has all the Georgia gear and accessories that you could ever want. I know the holiday season's coming up, guys. I know we're sitting here in mid-October, but you know shopping season's just around the corner, and if you want to get a head start on it, there's no better place to do that than Alumni Hall. They have all the brands you could ever imagine, whether it's Nike, Nike Golf, Cutter and Buck, Peter Millar, Johnny O, Columbia, Southern Tide, you name it, they've got it. They've got all the gear, all the accessories you want, whatever your preference is, they've got you guys covered. So make sure to stop in today in store inside the epsbridge Shopping Center in Athens or shop online at alumnihall.com because that is where the Bulldog shop.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Okay, Curtis, we've got some position grades to hand out with this mid-season report card so, Kurt, we're just, I'm just going to give you a position, give me your grade and a brief explanation on wh- wh- why you're going with that grade, and uh, we'll just kind of roll through this. And let's start offensively. Let's go with the quarterback position. Stetson Bennett-Curtis, and his his first full season as a starter, he started most of last season, but this is technically his first full year as a starter. I personally think that we have seen the best version of Stetson Bennett. But through seven games, Curtis, what grade are you giving the quarterback position?
2: I'm going with an A-. I think that he's played solid. Um, I think that you know the stretch of games uh, touchdown was a little troubling, um, but I think that he's has played solid and he's been a leader out there. There's been some struggles, but I think overall, I, I think that he's played up to or exceeded expectations in most of the time.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually right there with you. I thought you might go a little lower. You used to be formerly the president of the Stetson Bennett hater club, but uh, i also have an A minus here. He is – now, there are some areas where we continue to need to improve offensively, as we mentioned, specifically the vertical passing game. Stetson was first last year in the SEC in yards per attempt. He's still solid this year, but only fifth right now in, in the league in yards per attempt. But he is up in completion percentage. I think that's part, uh, part of this, curse is how we change the structure of our offense, where we've gone more the screen game, short passing game trying to get the ball in space in the playmaker's hands, and we haven't been pushing the ball as much vertically down the field as we did last year off the play-action game. So when you go to the short pass game, screen game, your completion percentage is going to go up in your yards per attempt are probably going to go down, which is what we've seen from Stetson. He's Second in the in the, uh, in the league right now in completion percentage, up six percentage points, up to seventy percent completion percentage, up from sixty four percent last year. And I, I think when you talk about Stetson Bennett, curse, so we've also got to factor in what he gives us in in the run game with his legs. He's got one hundred fifteen yards rushing right now, five touchdowns, and no, like he is not, he, he's not Hendon Hooker. Okay, I'm not trying to make him out to be that. But he, the mobility he gives us from that position is not just even what he picks up in terms of like the, the design quarterback run game. I I think we don't use his legs enough in the design quarterback run game. I also understand that he's not a big guy, so there's certain things you can't do in the, in the design QB run game. You can't do QB power and those kind of things. But just his escapability and his ability to keep plays alive has been huge for us for a year and a half now. So you got to throw that in there as well. So I I know there have been some spots in games where he's missed some throws, but. I don't want to make too much of that, Curtis, because you know what? I watch a lot of college football every single Saturday, and no matter who it is, no matter how good the quarterback is, they miss throws. Stetson is not alone in that. No quarterback hits 100% of his passes. I think sometimes we hold Stetson to far too high of a standard because he's our guy, and people are quick to jump on him. But I think if you look in totality, Stetson's been in control this year. He's not making mistakes in terms of protecting the football and putting us in, in bad positions. Curtis, one thing we always say about Stetson last year is every single game there's always like one or two decisions. It's like the WTF decision, right? We've seen a dramatic decrease in those this year, haven't we?
2: It has. It seems like there's been a lot fewer.
1: I mean, it was consistent last year. Every game, there was at least one or two of those moments. Like, what are you doing, Stetson? I have not found myself saying, what the are you doing, Stetson, very many times this year. So that's something we all seem to mention when you factor in his performance through the uh, the first seven games. Hasn't been perfect. There's things that we need to work on and he needs to continue to improve on. But I think he's playing very, very good football for us. And I know the touchdown numbers aren't where you want them to be, but I, I think touchdowns are overrated anyway. I mean, in terms of like a stat for like how you measure quarterbacks, I look at a lot of other things. I mean, that should be in the conversation, but there's other things I look at more then I look at how many touchdowns you have thrown. So I think Stetson, I'm going to give him an A minus there. If you want to argue B, B plus, I mean, that's fine. I get it. But I think Stetson's done a great job leading this team. I'm going to go with an A minus there. Uh, sticking with the offense, Curse. offensive line, what grade are you giving the line through seven games? B minus. Okay, I got a B plus. We're not too far apart here. Why a B minus?
2: I mean, just the the Missouri game. I mean, there's just been so many games where kind of just – they don't deserve – like what they've done out there has just not been up to expectations. Well, it's
1: the same story as like the red zone inefficiencies, right? It's just inconsistency. We've had games yeah. where we're dominant, like the Auburn game. We just absolutely destroyed them. And then you go back and look at Missouri games. Like, well, one week before we couldn't do anything. Like we couldn't protect the quarterback. We couldn't open up holes. We were just, we're not blocking people. Like we decided, hey, we're just not going to block this guy. We had no idea what's going on. We're getting crossed up in our assignments. And then you come back to Auburn game, it's like, oh, wow, okay, this offensive line actually is good. And that's the thing, Curtis, they're a very, very talented unit, probably the most talented offensive line unit in the entire league. I, mean, I guess you could maybe argue Alabama, but I think we're more talented in terms of the guys that we have on our roster. Do we always play that standard? No, we have not. And that's why I cannot give them an A. But if you look at some of the numbers here, Curtis, our offensive line is fourth in standard down line yards, is essentially basically what that statistic measures is more or less the yards that, the offensive line is responsible for it before, like before the, the running back gets contacted. Right. Uh, they're also 20th and sacks allowed eighth in sack rate first and standard down sack rate. So when teams are just paying their ears back to, to rush our passer to rush Stetson, they aren't getting to Stetson. They're just not. We are better than anyone in the country in those situations. We're 20th in opportunity rate, which is the percentage of plays where at least four yards are available, that four yards are gained. It's a big offensive line stat. We're also 19th nationally, so top 20 in power success rate, which is uh, on third or fourth down with two or fewer yards to go, how often are you converting? We're top 20 in that that metric right there. So if you look at the numbers, actually we've been really, really good on the offensive line we just had that one game against Missouri where it just like, oh my God, what happened? I know it's hard to ignore that game. You can't completely ignore it. I think overall the offensive line has been really good this year, so I'm gonna give them a B plus. And along with the offensive line, can't talk about the line without talking about the running backs. Curtis, what grade would you give our running backs through seven games?
2: Um, I'm gonna go the B plus. Um, I, you know, I think they've been solid, especially Kenny Mack in the receiving game. Dejan has been a very nice surprise, pleasant surprise. I think Branson Robinson starting to get it, and I think Kendall Milton. You're seeing some better runs from him, but I think once he gets healthier, healthier overall, it'll be a lot more consistent from him.
1: Yeah, I, I actually have the exact same breakers. I have a B-plus for running backs. I know we've been hard on at times, but they overall have played really well. We have three running backs right now, Curtis, averaging 5.8 yards per carry or more. Kenny's got 4.7 yards per carry, but McIntosh himself leads the SEC uh, leaves SEC running backs with 270 receiving yards. He's a little bit of a different kind of back, right? So the production has been there. I mean, Kendall Milton right now, I know we give Kendall a hard time. He's actually leading the team in yards per rush, 6.0 yards per rush. He's been productive. He has. Now, he also hasn't been 100% healthy, and we'll see what happens with the groin here. But the running backs have been good. We've been good in pass pro. We've been good trying to grind out yards. They, I I would like to see us run more violently on a more consistent basis. I think Dejan's been really good at that all year long. I, I, and Kenny's done a better job recently, kind of putting his shoulder down, trying to run through people. And he's ha- he hasn't been 100%. So I, I love that guy for that. But I like to see us be a little bit more um, powerful in our running style. And I like to see us break tackles a little bit more consistently. But all in all, I think all all four of our guys have played really well for us. I think B plus is a fair grade there. What about right receivers, Curse? Now for me, this is kind of like an incomplete because AD has not been healthy really since... I mean, basically the Oregon game got her with the first play of the, of the Sanford game in week two. And obviously Arian Smith's been out for a large portions of the year. He's back, but he's still not hundred percent healthy. Lad's been dealing with a toe injury. So with what we've seen so far, Curtis, what grade do you give the receivers? I'm going to go B. Um,
2: let's uh, just let's just,
1: throw tight ends in there as well. If we're throwing tight ends, if you're throwing tight ends, uh, throwing the tight head, ends then and they're group?
2: up to a B plus, dude. I'll give yes. them B plus. But the, my problem is the receivers just haven't done enough to get separation. Um, there's been quite a few drops in there, um, and so I think that that's why I'm there with the wide receivers.
1: Yeah, so here's what I've got. So if you if you separate this out, I go tight ends A+, plus, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the best unit on the team, okay? It's an A+. Plus. Receivers isolated by themselves, I would say a C right now. I mean, and I know that's, that's with a, a, a number of injuries that we had to deal with, but we're not getting consistent separation against man coverage. We've done a good job blocking on the perimeter for the most part, but there have been some situations where we had some plays in the, on the ground that could have been big gainers where some of those guys had missed blocks. We've also got a bunch of young guys, Curtis. You, you're throwing Dylan Bell out there as a true freshman. Denyland Morissette is a true freshman. Jackson Meeks is a second-year guy he didn't play really at all last year for us. I mean, there's a lot of young guys out there that haven't played a lot of football. So there's going to be some growing pains, and I like the ceiling and how good this unit can be, and I'm glad they've been able to get this experience without, without us losing a game, which is great, and getting AD back and getting Aaron Smith more up to speed. I think all those things will help, but I think right now at this point it's probably a C for the receivers, but you throw tight ends, receivers together, A plus, C, I'm going to average it out to about a B at this point for our pass catchers. And then moving over to the defensive side of the ball, Curtis, let's start with the defensive line. What grade are you giving the linemen?
2: I'm going to go B+. Plus. Um, I think there's been some times where they haven't lived up to it, but I, I think that they're growing more and more where I think if you're asking me the beginning of the season, they may not have had the highest grade, but now I think they deserve a much higher grade.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with B+, plus for the defensive line. If this was just based on rush defense, it would be an A-plus because we do lead the SEC in rush defense yet again this season. We are third in the league in yards per rush allowed, so we're not quite as efficient as we were last year, but that's what we were talking about earlier we kind of expected that. We didn't think we'd be as dominant as we were last year, but we're still very, very good, which is exactly what we expected. But if you look at some of the numbers, I mean, we are ninth in the country in average line yards defensively. We're 19th in opportunity rate, which just further solidifies the idea that we are one of the best rush defense teams in the country, and our defensive line is a big part of that, obviously. But here's where I have to downgrade them just a little bit. The pass rush production just has not been there. And I know that we do not use our defensive line as our premier pass rushers inside our defensive system. But we still got far more consistent pass rush from our defensive line last year, which is to be expected. We're talking about a couple different NFL first round type guys, three first round NFL draft picks to be exact that are no longer on this defensive line. So of course, this is what we were saying in the preseason. We were not going to be as dominant. We were not going to get as much of a pass rush and push from the interior as we did last year because we don't have those guys. And we really haven't seen that much of a drop off when it comes to the rush defense. But the pass rush is where we've seen more of a drop off. We are only 119th nationally in sack rate right now. And as we said earlier, we are dead last in the SEC in sacks. Now, that's not all in the defensive line. There are other components to that, but the defensive line certainly shares some responsibility in that as well. So for that reason, I've got to downgrade the defensive line a little bit. We're also not as strong in our power success rate. We are only 88 nationally there. Again, that's the percentage of plays, third and fourth down, with two or fewer yards to go where you're getting stops. We're not getting those stops as consistently as we did last year because, oh yeah, we don't have that big body in Jordan Davis. We don't have that big, giant freak of a man angry in the middle of our defense. Nas Stackhouse has been great for us, but he hasn't been Jordan Davis because he's not Jordan Davis. So we've taken a little bit of a step back there. So for those reasons, along with the sack numbers, I got to downgrade the defensive line ever so slightly, and I'm going to go with a B B+. All right, Curtis, let's keep this thing rolling along. Let's go to the linebackers, and we're going to throw in inside and outside linebackers into this conversation. We're not going to separate. We're going to keep them together. Obviously, last year, we had three freaking studs at inside linebacker with N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall, and Quay Walker, who are all playing in the NFL now. We do have both Nolan Smith and Robert Bealback, who are both playing a ton of snaps for us this year. But at inside linebacker, we are relying on a bunch of guys who have basically played no meaningful snaps at all in their career. And a couple of them, Ryan Davis, Tresman Marshall, have been banged up for the vast majority of their career. So at this point, Curtis, how are you grading our linebackers through the first half of the season? I'm going
2: to go B+. Plus. I mean, that we haven't done a good job of getting pressure, um, but I think overall, especially the inside linebackers, have grown. Um, there's still been some growing pains, but I think that you're seeing the talent.
0: I think that's
1: fair, but I'm going to give them a little bit of a higher grade than you at this point. I'm not going to go in the A range, but I'm going to go with a B plus for our linebackers. The pass rush numbers are not there, as we have documented throughout this episode. Once again, just for good measure, in case you didn't hear it the first couple of times, we are currently dead last in the SEC in sacks. We are 119th nationally in sack rate. And our linebackers bear some responsibility in that. The defensive line certainly does, but our outside linebackers and also our inside linebackers. I mean, this was one of the questions I had about the defense coming into the year. Where were we going to find our pass rush? Just We've done a really good job... The past couple years of really fitting our defense to our personnel. Last year, we modified our defense and our pressure packages to feature our inside linebackers as our primary pass rushers because those three guys were absolutely elite in those roles. We hadn't really done that before. We'd actually been a, a pretty heavy star pressure team, but we looked at our personnel. We said, okay, we don't have great pass rushers from the star position. We're not getting a lot of bang for our buck there. And Then you look at our inside linebackers. When they get an opportunity to rush the passer they capitalize on those opportunities, and there's a much higher pass rush success rate when we're rushing our inside linebacker. So what do we do? Well, last year, we went to about 65 to 70% of our blitz packages coming from the inside linebacker position, and that's one of the questions I had coming this season. Are the guys taking over for N'Kobe and Quay and Channing going to be as prolific rushing the passer as those three were? And I felt the answer is probably no, but you don't know until you know, And I think right now I would say the answer is still no. We we don't have those kind of guys. They're good rushers from the linebacker position, but they are not those kind of guys yet. They're still really young and they're improving. They're getting better, and we're seeing them rush the passer better. But it's still not the same as it was last year. So if you don't have those kind of guys, and how are you rushing the passer? Do you have dominant edge rushers? No, we don't. Nolan Smith's a good player. Nolan Smith has actually been really good in terms of his pressure rate. He's actually top five in all of college ball right now in his pressure rate. He's actually pressuring the quarterback 24.3% of the time, according to the College football Film Room, which is an account that I follow on social media, and they're really reputable and feel like, feel like they do a really good job charting this stuff. So Nolan's been pretty good there, but he's still, he's just not a dynamic pass rusher. He's never been that. He doesn't have a wide variety of pass rush moves. He's got a nice little inside move. He's got really good athleticism, so he can try to beat you off the snap with his speed. He can do that little inside move, but outside of that, he doesn't really have a ton of options to go with, and Robert Beal is is an effort guy. He's a good pass rusher, and I know he led the team in sacks last year, but he was never like that kind of dominant Will Anderson, Dallas Turner type pass rusher. He was never that kind of guy, so if you don't have the inside linebackers who are as proficient rushing to passer as we were last year, we still don't really have the edge rushers. There's no Adam Anderson on the team this year. We don't have Devontae. Wyatt on the interior. Jalen Carter would be the guy that I would lean on, say maybe we have more interior pass rush with Jalen Carter, but he's been out for the vast majority of the season. You really like what you see from a young freshman in Mikel Williams, but he's still a young guy. So where's that pass rush going to come from? So just the defensive line, I've got to downgrade the linebackers grade a little bit here because of the lack of a pass rush, because in our system, they bear a lot of responsibility in that. We don't really utilize, we never really have utilized our defensive line as our primary pass rushers. It's just been more of an outside linebacker, last year inside linebacker type thing, and we just haven't been productive there. It's just not there right now. So I have to downgrade a little bit there. But again, go back to the same thing with defensive line. The rush defense has been fantastic. And Nolan Smith, you know, say what you want about him as a pass rusher but he is an absolutely elite, dominant run defender. I think our inside linebackers are getting better every single time out, and they were really good to start the season. There were a couple mistakes that you saw in the first game against Oregon, which was to be expected, but Pop has been even better than I thought he would be at inside linebacker for us. I think he's potentially a future first-round draft guy. I think Smile Mondin is a future first-round type guy as well. He's got that kind of talent. I, I hate that he's been out the past couple games. a young guy. You want to play as much as he can. So, he can continue to develop and just see things. So, when you hit the meat of your schedule, which again, we are here very soon, you want him to be hit on all cylinders. But I think he'll be okay. He'll be fine there. I'd really like to get Treswin Marshall back healthy. I think he's a guy that can certainly help us there. He was our third guy, our first guy off the bench, but he's been dealing with some injuries. Ryan Davis is, is not as physically gifted as some of these other guys, but he's done a good job the past two games. And I'm really proud of him and happy for him. He's dealt with a ton of injuries to see him have some success has been a really, really awesome thing to see. But overall, the run fits have been really good. They're moving really well side on the sideline. They haven't really had many issues with eye discipline, which is one thing I always kind of worry about with young players that position. But they, they've been really sound fundamentally. Obviously, they have a ton of talent. So overall, really, really excited about what we've seen from the inside linebackers. It's only up from here, but I'm giving them a B B+. And finally, Curtis, let's wrap all this up with our secondary. Let's just throw... All of the secondary in here together. Let's go safeties, let's go corners, let's go star defenders, all those guys, money defenders, everybody in the secondary, let's throw them in together. What grade are you giving the back end?
2: I'm going to go A minus. Um, I still think we're giving up a little bit too many big plays and some missed tackles in the back end that need to be cleaned up, but I think overall they've been pretty solid.
1: I think an A minus is fair, but Curtis, I guess once again, I'm a little bit more of a lenient grader when it comes to these kind of things. I'm going to give our secondary an A right now. Currently, we are number one in the SEC in pass defense, number eight nationally, only getting up 163 yards per game through the air and only 5.4 yards per attempt. I know stats are stats. Like you can twist them and turn them and make them say whatever you want them to say. And the reality is that we have not really faced a prolific or even super proficient passing offense. I guess the best passing offense we face at this point has to be Kent State, and that's a group of five team. Auburn can't throw the football to save their lives. Vandy's been better this year, but it's still Vandy, and there's a major talent gap there. Oregon has really turned it on lately. I mean, they, they're scoring 40 points a game. I think each of their last four, maybe last five games, I mean, this Oregon offense has become a prolific offense out west, but there's context there, right? Week one, a lot of new guys, a lot of new faces, a lot of new pieces, new offensive coordinator calling plays for the first time. And that organ offense that we saw week one, it's not the same organ offense that's out there putting up points all over the place right now. If we played them again, I think we still beat them, and we still keep their offense relatively in check. But would we hold them to three points? I know I'm a Georgia guy, and I'm supposed to say, yeah, obviously we would, but I can't sit here and say that with a straight face. They'd score some points because they have kind of figured things out offensively, figured out who they are. Kenny Dillingham's kind of gotten to a rhythm. That's a good Oregon football team, but they weren't that same team week one. So I can't really throw them there. Obviously, Sanford's not any good. South Carolina is in the bottom third of the SEC in passing offense. I mean, Juice Wells is is a good receiver, but Spencer Rattler is Spencer Rattler. He's very, very average at best. So yes, the numbers look fantastic right now, but we also haven't really played anyone that can really challenge us. That's coming. Like we know that's coming with both Mississippi State and Tennessee up on the schedule over the next three games. And that's when we will really find out what this secondary is all about. But right now, based off what we have to operate off of, I know that the competition hasn't been elite when it comes to passing offenses, but if we're just doing this based on performances, then I have to give them an A. I mean, they have done everything they're supposed to do. They've done everything they're asked to do. They have not given up those big explosive plays with maybe a few exceptions here. There's a couple of plays against Missouri, but they've been really good. Obviously, Malachi Starks in the back end at safety has been a revelation for us as a true freshman playing at the level that he's playing at right now and not really blowing assignments. I'm knocking on wood all over the place here right now because I know we're going to get challenged by Tennessee. We're going to get challenged by by Mississippi State, but honestly, you know, watching the Alabama-Tennessee game, I think one of the advantages we have in that game against Tennessee compared to Alabama is that our safeties are just better, and they're more athletic, especially Malachi Starks. And if you just, if you watch the Tennessee game, guys, that Tennessee-Alabama game, it wasn't that Tennessee was doing anything crazy exotic. They were literally just lining up Jalen Hyatt in the slot and having him just run past their safeties and man coverage, and they couldn't stay with him. They just simply could not run with him. That's not really going to happen with Malachi Starks. Malachi Starks is an elite athlete he'll be able to stay with them. Now, it's still going to be a challenge, but I think that we have maybe a little bit of a better opportunity to cover them from that safety position than what Alabama did. And Keely Ringo has been really good for us. I still, I don't know if he has quite yet turned into that like official shutdown corner, but he's taken another step. He's a really, really good player for us. I love the size. I love the length. I love the athleticism. Sometimes he does panic and doesn't always play the ball when he needs to. He's usually in position for the most part. Same thing with Kamari last year. That's one thing I've had, the only issue I've had with our cornerbacks is, we're almost always in position, rarely we just beat off the snap, but we've got to make more plays in the ball when we are in position, when we're there to actually be able to make plays, let's actually just turn around, I don't know, have some awareness and make those plays, but I think the corners have been really good, I think that Javon Bullard has been excellent for us at the star position, when he's been in there, actually I don't know if you guys noticed this, and we should have mentioned this earlier, when we're talking about the Vanderbilt game, but it was actually Tyke Smith who got the start in this game, he played really well against Missouri. Now, here's the thing with Taiki. He's not as good as a cover guy as Javon is, but I do think he's a better tackler. Like, when he was the third-team All-American coming from West Virginia, that's what he did really well. He was great as a run supporter from that star position. He's good. He's competent in pass coverage. But I do think that Bullard's a little quicker. I think he stays in the hip pocket of the receiver a little bit better. And that's also to be expected when Tykee's coming off the ACL tier that he came off of last year. But I think we have a a really good one-two punch there at the star position. We're, We're fortunate to have two guys that can play at a high level in the SEC. So all in all, you put all this together, even though the competition has not been stellar or even good at this point, the secondary has done what they needed to do. So I got to give them an A at this point. But all right, Curtis, that does it for us. We're out of here, guys. I appreciate you guys checking the show out today. I know this is the bye week and there is no game to preview this week, but those of you who have been around for a while, you know how we roll. That does not mean that you guys get any less content from us. We are here all year long, off season, in season, it doesn't matter game week, bye week it doesn't matter. We've got you guys covered. Charlie and I will be back with our mailbag episode on Tuesday, and then I will have an episode where I'm going to be just previewing the stretch run that we have here over the next month and a half. We don't have a game to preview this week. We'll get to that next week with the, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But I do want to get a head start just talking about all these things, whether it's Florida, whether it's Tennessee, Mississippi State, maybe even a little Georgia Tech talk. We'll throw some Kentucky talk in there and just give you guys uh, some some thoughts and some opinions on what to expect here over the next month as we try, try our best to win the ACC East again, get back to Atlanta and uh, find ourselves once again in the college ball playoff. So the content is still coming, guys. So make sure to check back later this week we're going to have a ton of great content for you guys, but I hope everyone has a fantastic week. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs!